Section 104 of The Mysteries of London, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asher. The Mysteries of London, Volume 3 by George W. M. Reynolds. Section 104. An Acquittal and a Sentence the blackamoor in his mysterious abode beheld the successful progress of his grand schemes and while all london was busy with conjectures relative to his daring unknown who seemed to have constituted himself the instrument of justice and the champion of innocence wrongly accused the object of this general interest and curiosity remained in impervious concealment the secretary of state offered a reward of two hundred pounds to any one that should give such information as to lead to the discovery of the person who had enticed sir christopher blount to his unknown abode and who had caused dr lascelles to be conveyed thither by force and the most astute bow street agents were employed in instituting inquiries in every part of the metropolis with a view to find out the dwelling of the individual in question the newspapers teemed with the most absurd and contradictory reports on the subject and a thousand wild rumours were constantly circulating throughout the metropolis the result of all this was that those who were employed in the inquiries above alluded to were so mystified and bewildered that they worked like drunken men in the dark taking up and following any ridiculous information which they obtained either from wags or from persons who wished to appear more knowing than their neighbours and pursuing what at first might seem to be a clue but which invariably led to nothing satisfactory at last the blackamoor's own retainers who were all faithful to their master augmented this confusion by rumours and ideas by mingling amongst the gossips in places of public resort and gravely propagating reports which were sure to direct the attention of the bow street runners from the very point where its object lay and all that dr lascelles had been known to hazard in the shape of conjecture in the matter was a hint that to the best of his belief the carriage in which he had been borne away on the memorable night of the confession had eventually stopped in one of the most easterly suburbs of the metropolis the consequence of the suggestion was that wapping whitechapel battenal green and glebe town were regularly explored by the bow street officials but entirely without success although the innocence of mr torrens was universally believed yet as he had been committed for trial it was necessary that he should undergo the ordeal the ceremony took place a few days after the publication of the confession of the real murderers indeed on the very monday following the grand entertainment at the carlton house the prisoner was arraigned on the charge of having assassinated sir henry courtenay and the recorder of london presided on the bench the counsel for prosecution merely stated the particulars of the discovery of the corpse of the deceased baronet and the circumstances which had led to the prisoner's committal but he did not for a moment insist that those circumstances were conclusive against him 
sir christopher blunt then detailed in evidence all that he had given in narrative at bow street and dr lasalle's corroborated his statement the confession signed by joshua pedler and timothy splint and likewise the one in which martha torrance had attested to certain facts in favour of the prisoner were read by the clerk of arraigns and the counsel for the defence was about to address the court when the jury declared that their minds were already made up the acquittal of the prisoner immediately followed and the first person who shook hands with him as he was released from the dock was sir christopher blunt mr torrance accepted a seat in the knight's carriage and repaired to a friend's house in the neighbourhood where clarence villiers adelas rosamond and esther de medina was assembled to welcome his acquittal relative to which none of them had felt at all uneasy but it was evident that although thus relieved from the dreadful charge and appalling danger which had recently hung over him mr torrance was an altered man he had received a blow which had shaken his constitution to its very basis his mental energies were impaired and instead of a hale man of between fifty-five and fifty-six which was his actual age he seemed to be a feeble tottering octogenarian when the excitement produced by the meeting with his family after his release had somewhat subsided mr torrance said with nervous impatience rosamond my dear child i shall leave england this very day will you accompany your father leave us the moment you are restored to us exclaimed adelais bursting into tears yes yes returned the unhappy man i cannot dare not remain in england though released from a criminal jail yet i am in danger of being plunged into a debtor's prison for i am ruined as you all know totally irredeemably ruined besides never never again could i dwell in that house where so many frightful things have occurred yes he repeated i must leave england at once and you my poor rosamond he added with tears trickling down his sunken cheeks will have to support your father by means of your accomplishments in a foreign land no that must not be said esther de medina passing a handkerchief rapidly over her eyes rosamond has friends to whom although they have known her but for so short a period her welfare is dear foreseeing some such decision as that to which you have now come relative to leaving england my father has desired me to place a thousand pounds at your daughter's disposal continued the beautiful jewess addressing herself to the wandering torrents and at the same time placing a sealed packet in rosamond's hands oh my generous my excellent-hearted friend exclaimed rosamond embracing the jewess tenderly how is it possible that i could have merited this kindness this extraordinary bounty at your hands we are fellow-creatures though of a different creed said esther modestly but she was compelled to receive the thanks of the astonished torrents and of the admiring clarence and adelaide villiers now drew his father-in-law aside and spoke to him concerning mrs torrents i cannot see her clarence i cannot meet her again he replied besides an interview would be useless our marriage was not one of affection as you are well aware and moreover but he added suddenly interrupting himself and looking tremblingly in the young man's face while his voice sang to a low hollow whisper she has doubtless told you all 
and then he glanced towards rosamond who was conversing with esther de medina and adlas at the farther end of the room yes i know all returned villiers and the word seemed to convulse his wretched listener with horror but it is too late to amend the past and it is not for me to reproach you now your own conscience mr torrance will prove a sufficient punishment for the frightful wrong you have done to that poor girl and fear not that i shall impart the sickening truth to my wife who is already too deeply affected by all that has lately occurred thank you clarence thank you at least for that assurance said the old man his voice almost suffocated with terrible emotions you perceive how impossible it is that i should remain in england with so many dreadful reminiscences to make me ashamed to look those who know me in the face this very instant will rosamond and myself set out on our way to a foreign land you'll be kind enough to send my trunks after me to dover i do not attempt to dissuade you from the step observed villiers because i can see no more agreeable alternative mr torrance's decision was then communicated to the three ladies and the farewell scene between the sisters was affecting in the extreme no less did adlas deplore the necessity which compelled her to separate from her father but she at least had a consolation in the midst of her grief a solace in the possession of a husband who loved her devotedly whom she adored a post-chaise was speedily in attendance and mr torrance took his departure from the english capital in company with his younger daughter esther de medina did not take leave of clarence and adlas before she had made them promise to pay her an early visit at finchley manor and the young couple returned to torrance cottage more than ever prepossessed in favour of the beautiful jewess who seemed to delight only in doing good on the ensuing day martha torrance was placed in the dock before the recorder of london charged with the crime of forgery the court of old bailey was crowded with persons belonging to those religious associations of which the prisoner had lately been so conspicuous a member there was mr jonathan puckwash president of the south sea islands bible circulating society not only with a face indicative of its owner's attachment to brandy but also with a breath smelling very strongly of that special liquor there also was the reverend malachi sawkins looking so awfully miserable at the scandal brought by the prisoner's conduct on the religious world that a stranger would have supposed him to be at least her brother if not her husband and there likewise was the reverend mr sheepshanks who having made his peace with the members of the above-mentioned society had latterly come out much stronger than ever in the shape of a saint many other sleek and oily or thin and pale religious gentlemen were present on this occasion and in the gallery were numerous old ladies all belonging to the ultra-evangelical school who appeared to divide their attention between the task of wiping their eyes with the white cambric handkerchiefs and strengthening their nerves by means of frequent applications to little flasks or bottles which they took from their pockets or muffs mrs torrance was supported into the dock by two turnkeys of newgate for she was overcome with shame and grief at the position in which her crime had placed her she was indeed a pitiable object and it was evident that whatever penalty the bench might award her punishment in this world had already begun 
the indictment being read she pleaded guilty in a faint voice and the prosecutors strongly recommended her to mercy the recorder put on the black cap and proceeded to address the prisoner in a most feeling manner his lordship said that the law left him no alternative but to pronounce sentence of death he however observed that considering the contrition manifested by the plea of guilty and the intercession of the bankers who had been defrauded of their money by the forgery he should recommend the prisoner to the mercy of the crown his lordship concluded by an intimation that she must make up her mind to pass the remainder of her days as an exile in the penal settlements but that her life would be spared she was conveyed in a fainting state away from the dock and the religious gentleman present gave so awful and simultaneous a groan that the judge was quite startled upon the bench and the jury were horrified in their box at the period of which we are writing this high civic functionary tried cases involving capital penalties as well as those of a less serious nature since the establishment of the central criminal court the great judges of the kingdom preside at the old bailey to try prisoners charged with grave offences end of section one o four recording by asher